0: You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. We are in the month of April, and we've been talking about dinners with Jesus. We have found that in the book of Luke, there are a number, somewhere around a dozen different times, that Jesus either sits down and has a meal with someone or where Jesus is teaching his disciples around food. And and the way we've discovered this is that Jesus, uh, the Scripture tells us that Jesus came in several different ways. He came to, to do some things. Why did Jesus come? Well, in the book of Luke chapter 19 verse 10, it says that he came to seek and to save. In Mark chapter 10 verse 45, it says that he came not to be served but to serve. But then there's this unusual, rather odd reason why Jesus came. And it's not so much uh, necessarily a statement of purpose. It's more a statement of process, a statement of a method, a a way that he evangelizes. This is something interesting. But in Luke 7 verse 34, it says that Jesus came eating and he came drinking. It seems somewhat insignificant compared to seeking and saving and serving and sacrificing. Those seem like such a better reason to come. Why did Jesus come eating and drinking? As a result of that, we've introduced our fourth core value in our church using that letter P in the name Gospel Light, and it simply means that we are going to put people over projects. They matter more than anything. This is what Scripture's teaching us at all of these dinners with Jesus. We see it, a resounding message. And Jesus practices hospitality at the next level over and over again. And so what we're learning together, because there's nothing in Scripture that doesn't have a purpose uh, to teach us something about the life of Christ, we're learning about Jesus as he has dinners with different people. Our dinner with Jesus this morning is recorded in all four Gospels. Just a fast fact, kind of a fun fact. There's only one miracle recorded in all four Gospels. Only one. The feeding of the 5,000. I mean, people getting up off stretchers and walking that have never walked before, not mentioned in all four Gospels. A girl that Jesus touched and she rose from the dead, not mentioned in all four Gospels. Lazarus, Lazarus, surely that great miracle, Lazarus, come forth, not mentioned in all four Gospels. Even the birth of Jesus is not mentioned in all four Gospels, but what Jesus did with five barley loaves and two fishes is mentioned and recorded in all four. And in Luke's account, we see him focusing on the humanity of Jesus. The the Son of Man came to seek and to save. The Son of Man came eating and drinking and as, we, as, as Luke focuses on the humanity of Jesus and how it would have felt if we were actually there at the feeding of the 5,000, and here's the title of my message this morning, When God Did the Catering. What happens when God does the catering? Now, before we look at this dinner with Jesus where God fed 5,000 men plus women and children, let's take a moment to, to notice that it's bookend between some questions one of the questions is a question that Herod asked right before the feeding of the 5000 Herod asks this question he says but who is this about whom i hear such things Herod is hearing all these things that Jesus is doing and he's interested in who it is who is this man they begin to answer that question by saying well Herod some say it's John the Baptist others say it's uh, it's Elijah After all, Elijah was carried up by a chariot into heaven, so so maybe this is the second Elijah. Others said it could be Moses. And then there's the feeding of the 5,000, the amazing miracle mentioned in all four Gospels. And then Jesus asks his disciples two questions. We see right after the feeding of the 5,000 in verse 18, he asks this question, who do the crowds say that I am? Again, the same answers. Some say another John the Baptist. Some say another Elijah. Some say another Moses. But then in verse 20, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, after having been a witness of the feeding of the 5,000 plus women and children, said, the Christ of God. You are the son of God. In this we see that what made the difference between Herod's unanswered questions and Jesus's answered questions in this dinner with Jesus in the wilderness is when God does the catering is his humanity is revealed it's revealed in a dinner around a meal Jesus is revealed Jesus did what God did 2,000 years earlier when he took bread and he looked up to heaven and blessed it in and, and, and the Old Testament and God sent down matter from heaven to feed all those Israelites. The feeding of the 5,000 was symbolic meal. It was symbolic of the messianic banquet to come in the kingdom of God when God will be the king and God will be the host. God is doing the catering and God is teaching us that he is able to provide for our needs. And here's the overarching message this morning through the worship and through the message and that is this, trust him. Trust him. Trust Jesus. Trust him. You can trust him. And so I want you to read with me the account in Luke chapter 9. If you read it, in your Bible, that's fine, or read it on the screen. I'm emphasizing the places in this incredible story that we're going to touch on this morning. Look at it with me as we read it together. Verse, nine, uh, verse 10, On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them. I love that. I don't think that's there by accident. I don't think anything's in the Bible by accident. I think the fact that Jesus wanted us to know that he welcomed them as they arrived begs the question, how many of us here at Gospel Light welcomed someone who arrived today at church? He welcomed them. He wanted them to feel welcomed and loved and accepted. This is such a challenge as we practice hospitality at the next level because people matter more than projects. People matter more than us getting the seat that we always sit in. People matter more than standing in a line to get a cup of coffee. People matter more. Jesus welcomed them. He spoke of them, of the kingdom of God. He cured those who had need of healing now. Now the day began to wear away. Sounds like we had a long winded preacher. The day began to wear away. The 12 came and they said to him, Pastor Jesus, we got a problem. Send the crowd away. Send them away to go to surrounding villages and, and send them away to go to the countryside. They got to find lodging, they've got to eat, they've got to get provisions. Jesus, have you looked around where we are? This is not good. It's not good for them, and it's not good for us. We are in a desolate place. But he said to them, You, give them something to eat. They said, "Uh, We have no more than five loaves of bread and two fishes. We'll see later that... Another account of this story in one of the Gospels tells us more about that. They've got five loaves and two fishes and and unless we are to go and buy food for all these people, for there's about 5,000 men. And his disciples said, have them sit, excuse me, and he says to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And he had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. And he said a blessing over them. Then he broke them. And he gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate. And they all were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces wow, what a story. Let's look together at this dinner with Jesus and let us together learn three truths about when God does the catering. Number one, notice with me, we must recognize, like Jesus did, the real need of people. Look at this story. Jesus had amassed an incredible crowd of over 5,000 people. In fact, Matthew tells us this in chapter 14 and verse 21, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Some say this crowd could have been up to 20,000 people. How powerful is that? Imagine people seeing this great crowd coming down uh, the road and coming down the the byways and all of this, and, and they're saying, wow, look at all these people. Where are they going? And someone says, they're going to see Jesus. Haven't you heard This guy's incredible. I mean, when he speaks, it is awe-inspiring. People will sit for hours and listen to him teach. It's incredible. Can you imagine this crowd? There were crippled people in that crowd. I think of a lady who came this morning. She comes every morning to the 9 o'clock service. Her name is Bernie. Bernie has to get here 30 minutes early because it takes her 30 minutes to get everything out. John Clowers helps her get her, walk her out and... And then she she has to get stable and then she walks like about this slow and she finally gets into the building and she sits on that back row and I told this story this morning with her here and uh, she loved it and I think she she found, I think she was just thankful to know, know that somebody noticed how difficult it is sometimes when you're, when you're crippled, to to, to get to a place that you want to get. But yet, she did. And I can imagine on that day, there were people like that trying to just get to Jesus. Mothers with their children walking down a rocky, dusty road. And and teenagers trying to get to Jesus. Some people were old. Some people were young. All trying to get to where Jesus would be teaching. 5,000 men plus women and children. And they stayed all day to hear what Jesus had to say. Look at Luke chapter number 9, verse 11. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. He welcomed them. Notice this he spoke to them of the kingdom of God, and he cured those who had need of healing. People have been drawn to hear him speak. Before they would leave, they would rather faint from hunger than miss hearing a word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Jesus saw people differently than most. He saw their inner need, their spiritual need. He didn't just see their felt need, their physical need. In Mark's account of this miracle meal, the Bible tells us why Jesus stopped to teach the people. Look at Mark 6, 34. It says, and when he had went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Here's why he stopped. Because he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He saw their inner need way before he saw their physical need, their felt need. He saw they had an inner need. These people were spiritually broken. They needed something more. Jesus saw their true inner need. That's why he fed them spiritually before he fed them physically. He had compassion that moved him to action. And that's what biblical compassion is. Biblical compassion demonstrates itself in doing something, not just feeling sorry for someone. Jesus saw their true spiritual condition that they were dying spiritually. Jesus understood that people matter more than projects It's not until we go and see people in their lost condition that we will develop compassion for them and have a desire to win them to Jesus Christ. Jesus never did anything by accident. I want you to know that, church. Nothing we're reading about in this story was by accident. He did what he did to teach his disciples ministry and leadership. Look at it in Luke 9, 12 as he's teaching. The day began to wear away. The twelve came to him and said, send the crowd away. Send him into surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. For we are here in a desolate place. Notice Jesus' disciples were focusing on two things. Do you see it in the text? Number one, they focused on this. Time is running out. There's not much time. I mean, we are facing a serious dilemma here. There's not much time. You know, hey, there's not much time before we need to get this air conditioning in. You know, it's getting hot soon. I hope you got an answer, preacher. Because if you don't have an answer, man, it's going to get hot, and we're going to have to send the crowd away. That's where they were at. The day was far spent. It's coming down to the wire. There's not much daylight left. And the second thing they focused on was, we're here in a desolate place. A desolate place is a barren place with little or limit or no uh, natural resources available. Let, let me put it to you in, in just good old-fashioned Arkansas language, ain't no Waffle Houses around. And no Big Reds to fill up at and get your favorite snack. There's no Starbucks, ladies, huh, to get a foo-foo drink at. I mean, this is a desolate place. My wife and I yesterday traveled back from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, we were preaching at the, uh, the uh, Oklahoma State Gideon's Convention. Or I was preaching. She was listening. And, uh, and so when we got in the car to head back, we did what everybody does, right? I think, I mean, or a lot of people. You put the address in your maps, right? And it gives you all these different ways to go. Anybody ever do that? Okay. And so then what happens is you have to make a decision. I do this a lot when, when I drive the bus for the college or for the Christian school because I like to drive on highways, just in case, right? Just in case, got an exit, got a love. I love loves. You know this. I've talked about it before. Nothing like a loves bathroom, so clean. But this time, I looked at Carolyn and I said, if we go all highway, it's going to take us an hour more. it be nicer, better stops. Let's go this way. It was a desolate way. Oh, we went through Arkansas towns. I don't even know if anybody knows they exist. I mean, like population, 12, you know. I mean, let me tell you something. In fact, Caroline said, I'm glad it's a nice day and it's not raining and we don't need gas because there was no place to stop. It was a barren place. Desolate place, a desolate place highlights needs. It's a place where if God doesn't work, Nothing is going to happen. It's a place of human dependency upon God. It's a place that magnifies God and minimizes man. Question, have you ever been following God and then find yourself in a desolate place? You're following God. You're going to church. You're doing the right things. But you find yourself in a financial desolate place. You find yourself in a ministry desolate place. You find yourself in a marriage desolate place. You find yourself in a career desolate place. A a family desolate place. You see, some people think if you're in the presence of Jesus, then you have no problems. But here in this story... We have 20,000 people in the presence of Jesus and they've got problems. Let's review what's happening. The Lord is teaching a huge crowd all day, 20,000 people. He's teaching them all day long. The day was far spent. He had been teaching and preaching and sharing. The children are getting restless. The people are getting hungry. It's getting late. And the disciples start talking together in a huddle and they walk up to Jesus and they say hey pastor Jesus you got a second pastor Jesus looks at him and says sure hey everybody wait just a minute I'll be right back and he walks over and look at Luke chapter number 9 and verse 12 now the day began to wear away and the disciples came and said to him Jesus I mean, it's a good sermon. I like it. You got some really good points. I'm enjoying everything. But Jesus, no offense, we got to send the crowd away. I mean, Jesus, we got a problem. I mean, we're we're watching. I don't know what you're watching. Sometimes, Sometimes people will tell me after the service, did you hear the crying baby? Did you see somebody walk out? Honestly, I don't see a lot of it. And, and people think, how do you do that? How do you preach through all the chaos going on in the auditorium? I don't know. You just get caught up in what you're preaching. Maybe that was what Jesus did. And they say, Jesus, there's, there, there's kids restless. There's teens over here starving. They're talking about McDonald's and, 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 and going to get something to eat. But there's nowhere near to get anything to eat. This is a barren place. we got to send them away to go into the villages and the countryside. This is too big for us, God. Send the crowd away. These disciples realized the enormity of the problem and their inability to solve the problem. They realized it. We're in a desolate place. Time is running out. Send them away. We have enough problems of our own. But remember what Jesus is teaching us. People matter more than projects. The solution they propose is there's no natural supply here. Therefore, it's obvious it is not up to us to help them. It's obvious, Jesus, there's no Walmart, okay? Send them away. They didn't have the vision and heart that Jesus had for people. You see, our feelings toward people will be directly related to our relationship with the Lord. In fact, if we have a bad attitude towards people, Usually it means we're out of fellowship with God. There's a lesson to learn here. And here's the lesson, church. Just because you're in a desolate place, don't panic. Just because you're in a desolate place, don't give up. God is teaching you to recognize your inner need to trust him, to depend on him. To know that God is enough. And God has designed it that everything you ever need is somewhere around you. For some in the New Testament, it was touching the hem of his garment. For, uh, for David, it was five smooth stones right there in the creek bed. For another, it was a handful of meal in the barrel. For another in the New Testament, it was just somewhere in the house. This past Sunday, I had to get up, if you weren't here, and make a really scary announcement. I mean, it was one of the worst moments of my pastoring career. When you've got to look out into a congregation of people that are expecting an air condition in February, just like I was, and, and if not February, then surely early March, and if not early March, it's surely mid-March, and if not mid-March, surely early April, and not early April, sure, what's happening? And I heard some murmuring, and I thought, i gotta, I got to say something. And then I got an email as I pressed into this company, and they said this. Unfortunately, the update we received from the vendor on the chiller is the ship date has moved to May the 15th. That's all we can tell you right now. I'm terribly sorry for the delay. I read that, and then I told you what. I told you, hey, listen, I don't know church, and I was scared. I'll be honest with you. I was like these disciples. Pastor Jesus, we got a problem. I just like them. I mean, you're looking at just like them. I finished the service, I'm wondering what I should do next, and then I look on my phone, I've got a text message from John Ballard. John's a member of our church. John said, Preacher, uh, I heard your announcement. I I watched the service online this morning, live, and I heard what you said. He goes, I've got connections with carrier, and I'm going to contact all my carrier representatives. We're going to press into this thing. I need the the number of the order. I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. I gave it all to him. I said, John, I don't know what you can do, but here it is. I just gave it to him. I haven't heard from John, but I did get an email on Thursday. Eric, we've just received great news. Carrier is going to ship the chiller out next week. As soon as I have confirmation that everything's here, we will immediately install the chiller. There's nothing that my God can't do. Come on, Jordan. There's not a mountain that he can't move. Man, I tell you, if I could play the electric guitar, it would be out of control. I mean, I'd be boom, boom. I mean, I'd be going crazy. You say, you're too old for that. Don't tell me I'm too old for that. I feel too good to be too old. Yeah. I'm telling you, eyewitness today, God allowed your pastor to live the experience of not having enough, not knowing what to do, but knowing the answer was right in the pew. It's always near us. God has the answer. God has the answer. The things you've been asking God for is nearby. Number one. Recognize the need of people. Number two, remember, God is enough to provide. Let's learn that together in this story. The miracle, this miracle brought the disciples to a place of seeing their inability and God's complete ability. That's what this miracle did. Now, now just before this story, Jesus had sent them out on a mission. In Luke chapter 9, verse 3, check this out. Check this out. This makes no sense. Jesus sends them out on a mission and says, take nothing for your journey. Nothing. I don't want you to take a staff. I don't want you to take a bag. I don't want you to take bread. I don't want you to take money. Take zero. This is what Jesus told them as they were leaving. Don't don't take any money. don't don't take any bread. I want you to take absolutely nothing. Now, Jesus says this in Luke chapter number 9, verse 13. But he says to them, you give them something to eat. If he says that to me in this moment, I'm probably going to say, Jesus, you said not to take anything. We ain't got no bread. I mean, we got like five barley loaves and two fishes. That's all we got. You said no money, no bread, no, I mean, Jesus, you're asking us to feed people, but yet you said don't take any food. Give them something to eat. They say, we have no more than five loaves and two fishes unless we go buy food and we have no money because you said to bring no money. For there were about 5,000 men. He says to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50. And they did so and had them all sit down. I love this because Jesus would not allow them to dismiss the need. They were trying to dismiss the need, but Jesus would not allow it. And I feel like this might be an appropriate place for me to say this, that we can't say that the people in Hot Springs, our neighbors, our co-workers, are someone else's problem. We can't say that today, church. Send them away. It's not my job. Jesus said you give them something to eat. We must learn to practice hospitality at the next level. You know what we learned in this story? We're seeing here that the feeding of the 5,000 is a miracle of multiplication. The fact that they gave what they had and God did the rest. Because little is much when God is in it. God can take little. The work of God is a work of multiplication. Don't underestimate what God can do with a little. We just witnessed it as a church family three months ago. Three months ago, we witnessed it as a church family. You say, What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about 10 people sitting in a huge building with, with, with no money, electricity almost out, and no money to pay insurance, and a, 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 an entire facility with weeds grown up everywhere, and parking lot messed up, and, 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 and leaks in the roof. And I mean, a building with 10 older people sitting there wondering, What have we got? We don't have enough. But their answer was just, a few miles away where God was speaking to a church family. And God spoke to this church family, and we started just kind of looking at the options and ministering and loving and preaching and teaching. And I want you to know, God took little, 10 people, and two weeks ago, 135 sat in the auditorium. Little is much when God is in it. I'm glad five people are excited about that story. I remember the only reason we're sitting in this building is because A little lady named Marita, I don't have time to develop the story, I really don't, but if I did, I'd love to tell you about the beer dollar. The beer dollar, it's a famous gospelite story of a little Mexican lady that rode a bus route. She put her beer dollar that her husband gave her every week after soaking it in beer and said, you give that money to the blankety-blank church if you're going to blankety-blank go. She gave that beer dollar, and that man by the name of Cliff Kaufman saw her put that beer dollar in the offering plate. We had a need in the church of $38,000 to pay off a debt so we could build a new building. Cliff gave us that check because he said, if she can give a dollar and sacrifice, then I need to sacrifice. And Cliff figured it was $38,000 that would cause him to have to feel like he sacrificed. And because of that one dollar, that beer dollar, we're sitting in this auditorium today because little is much when God is in it. It's the story of our church. And if you think about it, it's probably the story of your life. You know, in the Gospel of John, another account of this story, because again, they're in all four Gospels, we see some other details taking place. Look at John chapter 6, beginning in verse number 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Time out. Don't read the rest. Try not to read it. Look at me. Can you imagine if Andrew would have said this? Jesus, there's a boy here. He has five barley loaves and two fish. Now, that's all we got, Jesus. But I can't wait to see you do your thing. It's going to be amazing. I know it's all you need, Jesus. It's all we got. Ain't got nothing else. No other ideas. We got nothing else. We got no money. You told us not to bring any money. We got no bread. You told us not to bring any bread. We got nothing. But we do have this. So, Jesus, (laughs) we're ready. But he didn't do that. He would have been the hero of the story. But instead he said, Jesus, you have five loaves and two fishes. whoop de What is that among so many? I feel as if this is the way that oftentimes we react to things. You see, when God does the catering, No need is too great for God, because little in the hands of Jesus Christ becomes much. Little. What have you decided is too big for God to accomplish? What have you decided is too big for God to accomplish? Why don't you just leave that up to God? Where have you decided it's too, I've just got too little to make a difference, Is it in your work? Is it in missions? Is it in ministry? Is it in giving? Is it in your study? Oftentimes, we look at life and say, I just don't have enough. Pastor, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. Pastor, I don't have enough energy. Have you ever thought, Lord, I just don't have enough? Lord, I don't have enough wisdom. I don't have enough experience. I don't have enough patience. I don't have enough friends. I don't have enough help. You know what God says to all that? Good. Now you can depend on me. You know, sometimes I feel as if we get this little sense in our minds, this little sentence in our minds, and it plays out like this When I get more blank, then I'm going to blank. When I get more time, I'll do more ministry. Pastor, when I get more energy, I'll spend more time with my kids. When I get more money, then I'll give like I really want to. Pastor, when I get more confidence, that's when I'll start winning souls. Understand this, church, you'll never have enough. Our resources are always too small. This is about trusting the caterer, God. God uses the little that we have to show how great he is. Number one, recognize the real need of people. Number two, realize that God is enough to provide. And number three, in closing, realize God has a purpose for you. This may be the most important point of all, because this is where it gets personal, right? God has a purpose for you, and you, and you, and you, and you, all across this building. Notice these four steps that Jesus takes at dinner. There's a pattern all throughout the New Testament, and this is always what Jesus does at dinner with bread. Look at it. He takes the five loaves, he blesses them, he breaks them, and he gives them. You see this all throughout the New Testament. Next week's dinner, we're going to talk about that dinner that Cleopas and his other disciple friend had with Jesus as they walked after they walked down that Emmaus road. And in, on that, at that dinner table, we're going to read next week that Jesus, he, he took the bread. He blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and he gave the bread. At the Lord's Supper, he took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and he gave the bread. We see this pattern all throughout the New Testament. And this is what Jesus does with you. This is what Jesus does with me. He takes us. He blesses us. He breaks us. And then he gives us to the world. God wants you to, to, God wants to use you to reach others and feed others for him. He wants you to practice hospitality at the next level. Notice that Jesus is blessing something that is not enough. Five loaves and two fishes is not enough. But Jesus is thanking God for what's not enough. And until you can be thankful for something that you have that is not enough, Then what you have cannot be multiplied into what is more than enough. If you are not willing to be broken, then you are not willing to be blessed. Because we must be broken to be blessed. And then he broke it. Let's do the inventory: five bread, five pieces of bread, five barley loaves, two fishes. And then. He breaks the bread right did you see that in the story did you see that in the movie he was breaking it they were breaking it and and i like that one scene where you can tell he's taking that one piece of bread and he breaks it into about 50 pieces i mean he's thinking man we got this has got a long way almost like they're going to get you know look if all if all i had to eat at the lord's supper was one little old piece of bread amen one of the best parts of the lord's supper is after it's over you go home and eat amen it's just a little piece of bread And that's what they were doing, tearing up all that little bread. But that's when it began to multiply. It is in the breaking that multiplication takes place. That's where the miracle is. The miracle is in the chaos of life. The miracle is in the struggle of life. The miracle is in the disappointments of life. Joseph was blessed more than any other man nearly in the Bible, and yet Joseph had to be broken. Paul was one of the smartest men in all the world, but Paul had to be broken. Peter was one of the most vibrant Christians ever to live, but Peter had to be broken. You see, when God breaks the bread, he breaks the bread with purpose. The breaking of the bread, the purpose is to give it. The one thing that never changes, though, is that the bread never leaves his hands. You're always in his hands. He breaks the bread, but it never leaves His hands. Whatever stage you're in, you're always in His hands. If you're broken, you're in His hands. If you're blessed, you're in His hands. If you're uncomfortable, you're in His hands. If you're full of doubt, you're in His hands. If you're frustrated, you're still in His hands. If you feel like a failure, you're still in His hands. If you're lonely, you're still in His hands. If you're forsaken, you're still in His hands. Your life is in His hands. Your future is in His hands. Your purpose is in His hands. If you just stay in his hands, he can use you to impact people because people matter more than projects. When God does the catering, there is always more at the end than there was at the beginning. It's amazing. I've heard this about good chefs. I don't know if it's true or not, but I've heard it. That you can tell you got a really good chef when he can look at a crowd and feed them and have no leftovers and everybody's satisfied. It's not the way Jesus works. It's just the opposite. There's always leftovers with Jesus. Look, if you would please, in the text of Luke chapter 9, verse 17. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. That day, the disciples took home 12 baskets full of leftover food. The impossible task was not only completed, but the impossible task was over-completed. Jesus did more than you could ever imagine. And that's the real power in the text. It's not in what they ate, it's what they had left over. In fact, Jesus later was, he was preparing his disciples for the next test. Here's my last text, my last one. He had already fed the 4,000. He had already fed the 5,000. Now we're in Mark chapter 8. Look at it in verse 17. Jesus knew what they were saying, and he said, Why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you understand yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes. Can't you see? You have ears. Can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did I pick up afterward? Twelve. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many Lord's baskets of leftovers did I pick up? Seven. Well, then don't you understand yet? Don't you understand? He purposely designed it so that there would be Leftovers. He chose for them to have overflow. Because when God does the catering, he leaves leftovers with a purpose. The miracle is not in what you've lost. The miracle is not in what you've consumed. The miracle is in what you have left. This is the story of my life. This is the story of your life. It's what we have left. We've all been broken. We've all got stories I mean, even the story of starting this church, I mean, coming across California with no money and, and living in the middle of nowhere in a, in a small three-bedroom house with you and, my, and me and Brett and his wife and our babies and, and, and just trying to find our way into a little old small building. And then my wife gets sick four weeks after we're pastoring for 30 days. She spent more time in the hospital than I had pastored this church in the first two months. We were so broken. We had nothing we, we were asking God, what are you doing? You told us to come to Hot Springs to start a church, and you stuffed my wife in a hospital for 30 days? What are you doing, God? Send us away. Got a $75,000 hospital that God paid, and then Carol Ann got better, and then the church began to grow, and then we packed the building out, and that cycle has gone. Every time we think we're enough, God has to remind us we're not. He's enough. He's enough. That's why we go through trials. And that's why the fragments that are left after the trial are where the miracle is. God never intended for you to go through something and get nothing out of it. Every time you go through something, every time you face a test, you come out of it with fragments you never had before. Can I tell you just by word of testimony, I've pastored the same church for 31 years and all I've got is fragments. I got fragments, but let me tell you what I have. I've been left with more trust in God, more faith, more grace, more experience, more wisdom, more endurance, more understanding, more hope, more knowledge, and more memories. The fragments are there to remind you that God is able. The last miracle will help me with the next test. Gather the fragments not so you can eat them, so you can learn from them. Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. The real issue is about total dependence on God. Two chapters later, Jesus said, Give us this day our daily bread. When Jesus was teaching to pray to give us this day our daily bread, it wasn't about the bread, it was about total dependence on God. And that's what this story is about. It's not about fishes. It's not about bread. It's about depending on God. He is enough. Don't you understand this? You have eyes to see and ears to hear. God is enough. Jehovah Jireh. He is enough. Maybe you've come this morning and you've never experienced the bread of life. Jesus can give you meat today that you've never known of not physical meat to fill your body or physical bread to satisfy your physical needs but I'm talking about a spiritual need where you'll never hunger or thirst again living water and the bread of life if you're here today and you've never received the bread of life Jesus as your personal Savior I encourage you today to come forward I'll be up front if you need someone to pray with you I'll be here to pray with you if you need someone to talk with us about, I'll be here to talk with you, or Kevin will be here to talk with you, our discipleship pastor, or Jordan, our worship pastor. To be honest, there's probably 20 people in here that you could stop and say, have you got a minute? Could I talk to you about the bread of life? We'll, we'll, we'll tell you all about it. Everything we know at this point. we got a lot more to learn, but we're learning. Maybe you're here today and you just need to realize that God is enough for your marriage. God is enough for whatever problem you're facing. God is enough for the financial burden. God is enough for an air condition. The answer's right there. Pick up those five smooth stones. They're in the creek bed. They're right there. You don't have to go anywhere. You say, well, I'm in a desolate place. I don't see any. That's okay. That's where God wants you. That's the perfect place to be, is a barren place where only God can provide. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak this morning. I do not take it lightly. I pray, dear Father, that you would take the message of the feeding of the 5,000s and let us learn from this story that you are enough, that we can trust you, that we can depend on you. Father, help us to let go of our desires and just trust that you know what's best as you lead us beside still waters and restore our souls. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in this place. Continue to do it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shall we stand together?